Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Once again, good morning, our Savior's Church. How are you this morning? I'm excited about today. What an incredible time we had with those baptisms. Did y'all enjoy that? Was that special? And just worship this morning, wow. Just, just wow. Um, I have, we have a special treat for you today that I'm excited about. We, just, we obviously just finished our 8.30 service and I'm sure, I know, I've heard stories, testimonies already of how it touched and blessed them. We've been in our series called Relationship 101 and uh, today we are closing that series out. We're ending the series. We've talked every, about everything from friendships to when you're single and what to look for to last week we did Marriage 101. Today we're doing Marriage 201. And you're not only going to hear from me, but you get the privilege and the honor of hearing from my lovely bride, Lauren Smith. So let me just tell you before I invite Lauren up to the stage what this is going to be like. We're inviting you guys to our living room, and we're going to have a seat, and we're going to just talk to you about marriage. We've had questions that have been submitted to us, things that you have asked, what, how do I do this? What does a godly marriage look like? And so we're going to randomly pull from these questions. If we don't get to your question, it's okay. I'm, God knows. And so, but we're just going to, we're going to answer all of the questions that we have time to pull from. So I want you guys to stand to your feet and honor my lovely bride, Lauren, as she comes to the altar. Thank y'all. So before I get started, I have to say online, I had someone in the church message me and say, I'm so excited to hear from you, Miss Lauren. Exclamation point. Pastor Gabe, you too. <laughs> but we're not gonna say who that was. Ari Christie House <laughs> right there on the phone. Yeah, so, but funny. she did such an amazing job. And so we want you guys just to hear from us about marriage and what that looks like. And so I'm gonna pray in a moment and we're gonna dive right into some questions and we'll see where this goes. Sounds good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all of that you've done already, all that you're doing. And Lord, in this moment, as we talk about such an important topic, something, Lord, that is so important to you, it's important to you. Help us to communicate it, God, in a way that gives hope to people today. God, for those who've come into the church today, God, and they don't have hope in their marriage they feel like they're just holding on and it's just about over. I pray that you give them hope today. I pray, God, for those who have good marriages, that you would strengthen them and make them great marriages. God, I pray that you would answer questions that people have had deep in their souls, deep in their hearts. Do all of these things to glorify Jesus, Holy Spirit, through us both. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 So we're going to... I'm gonna ask questions and we're gonna go back and forth, but I'll, first I want you to hear who you're hearing from, what we're talking about. So 
My wife and I have been married. It'll be 15 years on March 1st. Yep. And we have a, I mean, it's just, it's weird to have someone say this, but I, I genuinely believe we have a great marriage. We do. We have a, we have a great yeah. marriage. And we didn't always have a great marriage. Very and true. And there were times when it was on the struggle bus. But God has done a lot in our hearts, especially over the last 10 years of our marriage, really helping and strengthening us to understand what we're talking about with you guys today. And so some of you may say, well, I've been saved, I mean, I've been saved and married for 30 years and 40 years. That doesn't mean you've been doing it right. That's right. And so I wanna, we just want to help give you our perspective, but also give you perspective from the Word of God on how, what marriage looks like, what a godly marriage looks like. We're gonna get very honest. We're gonna get real raw with y'all. One of the things people kept telling us after the first service is, thank you guys for just being so genuine and for being so real. And that's just who we are. Yeah. That's just who we are. And so I'm gonna get started with a question mm-hmm. and then we're gonna bounce back and forth. But the first question that I wanna pose to you guys before we even dive into the randomly selected ones is this one. What's the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? Because we live in a day and time where marriage is really optional. Whether I get married to the person that I'm in an intimate relationship with, that's kind of an option for me. Maybe I'll take it, maybe I won't. Or if I am married, maybe I'll stay stay married, maybe I won't stay married. Let me tell you what the Bible says the purpose of marriage is, okay? And it's much more than you may think. This is what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a husband who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This, don't miss this part. This is a great mystery, but in it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each one must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is giving us our clear roles, Right, we submit to one another. There's a, the function where the wife submits to the husband as the leader of the family, and there's the role where the husband submits to the wife by laying his life down in his decision making and what he chooses so that he's always doing what's best for her. And what this is, is a picture of Jesus and the church. Your marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church. It's not the other way around. Jesus in the church is not a picture of your marriage. We're a picture of that. So that means that all that God has instituted was to show you what Jesus' love is for us, his people, and how we submit to his leadership and follow him. Now remember this, 
He loved us enough to die for us. Husbands, that's our role. That's our role. So that is the picture of what marriage is. That is the purpose. So it's not just this optional thing that I feel like staying in. I'm not, marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's good. It's a covenant. The same way that Jesus in us is a covenant paid for by his blood. Anything maybe you want to share on that? Yeah, when we were kind of talking about this and just really praying this morning, I just wanted to kind of lay a little bit of groundwork. We recognize that there are many different age groups, types of marriages, lengths of marriages, married again, married again, again. We know what it, that you guys are a myriad of different relationships in here. So what we're gonna say is not going to fix you. But what the enemy would love to do is give you a, well, it's not quite like that for me, so, but I don't need to listen. They don't quite understand. And that is the enemy scheme for all of us. He has absolutely no new tricks. And so I would ask, and this is what we were praying for, is that you glean from this, that this is a starting point for conversations. This is a starting point for you to go to another couple for a small group leader. This is a starting point for you. So. Yeah. We know that. We know that we can't fix everything in this setting, but you can leave with something. That's right. That's so, right, babe. That's just so wanted good. to lay that out. That's so good. All right. I'm ready. Let's just go. <laughs> he likes to do the random bowl thing. Me, I'm like all planned out, and I'm, so this gets me nervous. Ironically enough, this is the first question we got last time. Okay. It says, please explain the power of praying together and seeking God together for family, your family's direction. So I'll start and then you can speak to it if you want. But I talk a lot about husbands praying for your wives because it's something that's so practical that you can do to, be, to show you are the spiritual leader of your home. A lot of times we think... As a man, the Bible tells me my wife needs to submit to me. I'm the leader. Okay, again, like I just read to you, yeah, leaders lay their lives down for those that they're leading. And not only are you physically leading, but you're spiritually leading. And one of the ways that you do that is by praying for your family. Me and my wife, almost every night I grab her hand and I pray for her and our family before we go to bed. Not some long, eloquent prayer. We're not praying for 30 minutes. Sometimes it's a quick one and a half minute prayer. God, help us. Lord, help us. God, please be with our family. Let your angels surround and protect us tonight. It's things like that. that I just, but what I'm doing is I'm inviting God into our family. Yeah. I'm inviting him into our decision making. I'm inviting him into what's going on in our world. Because when, you do, when I do that, it models humility. It shows her, okay, not only am I trying to make the best decision that I can, but I'm inviting God's wisdom so that when we make a decision, it's been prayed through, it's been thought through. And that, I believe that allows her to trust a little bit more when I make a decision. You want to speak to that, babe? Yeah, so it definitely does. It's much easier for me to submit to his direction when I know that he is hearing from Jesus and he is hearing from other people in our lives. If he's a lone rogue, I can't trust that. Mm -hmm. Because how many of us know, left to ourselves, we're, we're not good, yeah. right? So when I know that we are unified in prayer and he's hearing from the Holy Spirit, it's pretty easy for me to submit. And I'll tell you this, I've been walking with the Lord since I was 12. 
And when I first got saved, prayer was a good thing, but for me, I felt like I needed to do something. I need to put my hands to something so I can see change. And as I've walked with the Lord and I've grown up in my faith, I've realized the emphasis needs to be switched. Prayer is where you get things done. That's right. If I know he's not listening to me, I hit my knees. Because who does he listen to ultimately? Jesus. And so I've watched the family dynamic. It can change. I've watched things happen in our children's lives because of prayer. And now as a 42-year-old woman, I can say I pray before I do anything else, before I ever open my own mouth. And so prayer for us is huge. It brings security to me and it brings unity in our marriage. Yeah, so good. Yeah. She's fine and smart. I'm just telling (laughs) y'all. Just telling y'all. I'm very surprised this one came out right. I'm not making this one up. If it's the question I think, he loves this question. How often should you have sex? See, I knew it. I'll start it. Can I confess? Last service? You can confess, yes. I'm going to confess. So last service, we got to the last question, and I pulled out a question. It wasn't this one, and I just said this one. I knew he did it, too. I was like, hey. This one's really on there. I can see it. Okay. Uh, yes, it really is here. Look at it. He loves it. So here, I'll, oh, I was going to say something. Go ahead. We, we love this question because we don't talk about it enough. That's right. It's like a hidden thing, you know, that nobody wants to talk about because, ooh, it embarrasses me. Well, guess what? Sex is a part of our lives. We were created to have sex. We were created to have sex in a healthy marriage. We were created to enjoy it. So sex should be talked about more. And so that's why I think he loves this topic. Still makes me blush, but. um, It's uh, one of the reasons why I love this question. (laughs) So let me say this. Um, You actually said, I'll let you talk about the the hour thing that that you talked about last service. But I'll say this. When it comes to sex and in marriage, it's something that you have to talk about with your spouse. Yes. There, for a man, there's nothing that will make you feel more rejected than when you're not having that intimacy with your spouse. That, and, and for men, the male ego, if you will, it's really pride. It's real fragile. So when we feel rejected in that area, it can devastate a marriage because most men... We don't like to be vulnerable. So what happens, we feel rejection from you. And instead of being vulnerable and saying, hey, I felt rejected by you. Or, hey, I need, I need this. Let me communicate my needs. We just get angry. We get silent. We get frustrated. And then we either implode or we explode. And so I say it's vitally important. Men, I'm going to speak to you for a moment. I'll let my wife speak to this from the women's side that you communicate what your needs are because let me let you in on a secret. She does not think about sex the same way you do. Right. I'm not saying she doesn't think about sex. I'm not saying women don't have sex drives. I know y'all do. But you don't think about it in the same terms of a man. Men are visual creatures. Men can randomly wake up one morning and go, I need to have sex today. Right? And so it's, it's true. It's funny, but it's, it's true. And so when it comes to sexual relationships, I say for us, I'm just going to tell you what it is for us. One, you have to talk about it often. You have to talk about it. 
And wives, if you're going to say, okay, no, don't say no without a comma. It needs right. to be no tonight, comma, how about tomorrow? Or how about this? Right. And she'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of the physical like ailments or things that may um, stop that. But for us, I think a good healthy rhythm is once to twice a week. Once or twice a week. Now, again, everybody has a different sex drive. If you're going um, a month without sex, that's a problem. I'm just going to tell you, that's not healthy. The Bible speaks to that by saying, do not, do not um, abstain from sex with your spouse. Don't deprive, as I believe is the language scripture uses, your spouse, but make sure that you're coming together. And so... With that said, I think once or twice a week is, is a healthy rhythm. Once a, I mean, going a full month without it, I don't think is unhealthy. And men, if you're requiring it three times a day, that's also not healthy. Right. You need a therapist. <laughs> you need freedom. Like we have right. freedom groups that just launched. It is for you. But, but I think that's so important. Again, I can keep talking for a little. What do you want to share, love? So... If you get technical, textbook says men need sex every 72 hours. But how many of you know we're not textbooks, right? So I think what he said earlier is communication is key because, again, we have a whole bit different types of people in here. And as you go throughout life, your sex drive and, and how many times you have sex, it ebbs and flows. It can ebb and flow with um, medications that you're on, with menopause, with um, any kind of trauma that happens. And so communication is key because if you have communication with, with your sex life, you're creating intimacy. And intimacy is what's going to take you through the long haul. Good. So, good. so when you're in your golden years, you can still have a very vibrant, wonderful sex life because of your intimacy that you have, even if physically things are not clicking the way that it used to click. And I'll say this too, for, for those of you who are maybe on a med new medication and your sex drive has plummeted, we need to make sure that we're having not only these conversations with our spouse, but have conversations with your doctors. Right. about this. The medical community doesn't talk about it enough either. And I'm telling you, if my stomach hurt for two weeks, I'd be going to the doctor and I'd be asking them about it. If I haven't had sex for two months, I need to go to the doctor and I need to ask them about it so that they can help. There's, there is a lot of help within the medical community and within the body of Christ. If your sex life is struggling, then talk to your small group leader about it. Talk to the person that you trust in the church and get, start having conversations, y'all. Communication's key. It's key. That's so good, babe. That's so good. Um, two months, I would say two weeks. But anyway, so. <laughs> next question. And I think this was asked of us personally. How do you handle others' issues without it affecting y'all's personal life and marriage? How do you handle others' issues without it affecting y'all's personal life and marriage? Wow. So, do you want to start that one? Sure. All right, go for it. Um, we, I'm speaking for both of us, but because we have these conversations, we feel that it is an absolute honor to be the pastor of this church. So when you guys, I hear this a lot, oh, I didn't want to burden you. Oh, I didn't want to come to you and tell you because I didn't know how. 
Y'all, it's an honor to be here for y'all. That's right. An absolute right. honor. And so we also know we're not your savior. Mm-hmm. So the pressure's off of me, off of him, because we're not your savior. What we're gonna do is we're gonna listen and we're gonna point you back to Jesus. That's right. And so with that being said, I don't, there are times when it's heavy because we love y'all. And there are times when we are praying extra for y'all because we love y'all and we really, really wanna see breakthrough. But usually it doesn't affect our marriage because we know that we're not the all end all be all for y'all. It's Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's a healthy, that's a healthy perspective. That's how you help guard your marriage. But I think, I know for me, there are moments where it has affected us. So let's talk about that for a moment. Like by and large, we're good. By and large, we talk about things and like we're praying for y'all, but there are moments when things are heavy. And I think this will apply to in men or women when your work life is, is hectic or when your family situations are joined. I think because we genuinely love people, this isn't a business for us. Because we genuinely love people, we carry things sometimes yeah. that are a little bit heavy. I think, again, going back to the communication, hey, babe, I'm, I'm feeling heavy. Like she asked me this just not too long ago. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm just, I'm feeling a little heavy right now. And I think that was all I needed to say for her to give me some grace in that moment to say, hey, okay. One of the things I, I've seen happen in marriages in front of my very eyes is when I know someone, I, let's just use an example. I know a husband who had just lost a dear family yeah. member is grieving the day of. And I watched his wife look at him and go, why are you being mean to me? And I just thought to myself, dear God, where's the yeah. grace for that man? Yeah. Where's the grace for what he's going through? And so, and I think it's important to, when things are affecting you, just communicate, hey, I'm heavy right now, or things are, are heavy in my world, can you give me a little bit of grace? Mm-hmm. Or for us, when our schedules ramp up and we get really busy and I'm not, as home, I'm not home as often as I normally am, it's vital for me to be able to tell her, hey, this is what's coming. I have a really busy season coming up. I'm not going to be home as much as I normally am. So I just want you to prepare your heart for that so that she knows I am thinking about our family and what's best for our family and I'm not just reacting to any and everything. Does that make sense, babe? Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. All right, next question. You're cute, (laughs) team. I finally got him on that. He does that to me all the time. This is, the, this is the last service, right? So just... Rotten. All right. How can you have married, excuse me, how can you have friends as a married couple? And how do I, and what do I do, excuse me, with my single friends? That's a really good question. That's good. How do you have friends as a married couple? And what do you do with your single friends? So can I start this one? You go mm-hmm. with that? So I'll, I'll start with by saying this. Um, it takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to keep a marriage together. That's right. So when it comes to your marriage, you need people around you. You need to hang out with other couples. And what happens is a lot of times when you're in the engagement process, you just kind of isolate because you're just like, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so wonderful, you're all I need, until you get married and you realize, they're not all I need. Right. <laughs> I need something else. I need some people around me. And so I would encourage you, even in the dating process and the engagement process, 
Stay around groups of people. Get around people who have the type of marriage that you want. Not just, listen, not just someone who's been married for 20 years that's a mentor. Get around somebody who's been married for five years, who's just around the same age as you, that you can just have fun with. Like we, when we were dating, we went out with my best friends and all of those people who were married ahead of us, and we developed good marriage friendships with them. So I think it's vitally important that you have friends in your life as married couple. Don't just, don't expect that your spouse to number one, meet the need only God so can, good. but then number two, to meet the need that you need a friend in your life to meet. Yep. Sometimes you need a, if you're a man, you need a man to talk to. If you are a woman, you need a woman to talk to. Yep. Where there's nobody out there, I want you to just look around this room and then tell me again, there's nobody out there. That's right. It's just not true. Now, another very important was what do I do with my single friends? Um, I'm gonna touch this one and then hand it to you. Um, when it comes to your single friends, that's a divide that I've seen happen, right? Single groups get together and the moment somebody gets married or they're in a relationship, there's almost like this sense of hurt feelings and you're, you know, ostracized. It doesn't have to be that way, but it requires understanding on both parties. It requires for the single group to look at the married person and realize, okay, they're walking into a change of life that I want to support them through. Mm-hmm. Not demand that you continue to live like a single person when you're no longer single. That's selfish. I'm just gonna call that, that is very selfish when you try to require someone who's married to live like they're single. But then on the part of the married person who's, who still tries to live like they're single, that's equally selfish because you're denying your spouse your very best. And so you can still be friends. That can still happen, but you have to understand they're in a completely different season of life. As a married man, I don't get to live like I'm a single man anymore. I don't get to stay up till two o'clock in the morning with my friends playing Xbox. That does not exist anymore for me. It may for you, but it does not for me. What do you think, babe? I I think all of that was amen, hallelujah, right on. I would just say this. Just to add to that, if you are in a relationship and you guys feel like you are siloed, go get what you want. If you want friends, go get them. Mm-hmm. Ask another couple out. Hey, let's go to dinner. What about coffee? I think for so long Join we sit back group. and we're like, nobody's talking to me. Well, you go talk to them. And look, if, it, if you don't click, it's okay. You never have to have coffee or dinner with them again. Go out with another couple. But keep trying until you find another couple that you click with. Life is better in groups. It's so much more fun. Mm-hmm. And so go get what you want. That's what yeah, I'm saying. That's good. That's so good. Make the effort. It, it is there. All right, next question. Ooh. How can you be strong, supportive, and vulnerable when your spouse has disappointed you? Mm. How can you be strong, supportive, and vulnerable when your spouse has disappointed you? You want to take this one? I'll take the lead on this one? You can take the lead. Okay. <laughs> I got stuff to say. Listen, perks of being the leader. All right. <laughs> I'll tell you the, what, I, what I believe is a deeper meaning behind that question, okay? And we've seen this happen a lot. I think what they're asking, high level, and then I'll give low level. High level, what do I do when my spouse has cheated on me? Mm-hmm. 
how do I be supportive and vulnerable with someone who's completely broken my trust? I'll answer, I'll answer it this way. Number one, if there's no repentance, I don't recommend that you do that. I don't recommend that you do that unless there's repentance on that person's part. If they're living a life that says, I'm going to break your trust and continue to break your trust, okay, then you really need to evaluate whether or not you should stay with this person. That's the hard truth. Now, if they are repentant, and we kind of mentioned this in the last service with a different question, if they are repentant, and what do I mean by repentant, they're gonna change. Like it's one thing to say, I did this, I'm sorry, and you console and hug and love and make up, but by the, by the 10th time, you're like, okay, you're not, really, you're not really sorry, you're just sorry for the consequence of this. Right? And so when that happens, when a person is repentant, this is, this, there's fruit with repentance. And that fruit comes by saying, whatever you want to know. And men, let me just, men and women, let me tell you both, because I've dealt with many couples who've done this. It is always better for you to confess than for you to be found out. Absolutely. It is always better for you to confess than for you to be found out. Because when you're found out, it, all, it leaves the question mark in, our, in my mind. What else do I not know about? Would they have ever told me if I didn't find out? When you confess, it is hard and it's hurtful and it's all of those things, but it also builds the bridge for trust. And I said this in the last service, when it comes to trust, and that's the only way to rebuild these types of relationships when this type of damage has happened, trust is lost in buckets and is gained back in drops. So good. This is what I mean by that. Every time you do something trustworthy, you're adding drops back into this, this coffee cup. How many of y'all have the old school coffee thing where it just drops in there and it takes forever, right? But you spill this one time and everything's gone. Yeah. It's a lot more work to gain the trust back. How did you get that trust back if that's you? You keep doing what's, what it takes to regain trust. You want my phone? You want my passwords? You want to know where I'm at? Whenever you break someone's trust, you don't get the freedoms that you had before then. Mm -hmm. You have to be accountable and show them you can trust me again. I'm repentant. I'm changing from what I've done. And you gain trust back in those moments. Is that a good answer, you it think? It's a fabulous answer. So, yeah. Thank you. So let me talk about it from a lower, a lower, not maybe something as devastating. What happens when someone's, how do I be vulnerable and strong and supportive with somebody who's just broken my trust in, in other ways? You have, there's no other relationship that I know of, like I mentioned before, that can make you more like Jesus than your spouse. No other relationships makes you more like Christ. There are moments when that woman supports me when I know she doesn't want to. And there's moments when I support her when I don't want to. There's things that I, I can say to her and I can see it in her eyes that she wants to take it and go in a different direction. But instead, she chooses in that moment to be supportive, right? You have to choose this. Even when they've hurt you, you have to choose whether or not you're going to move forward with them. And if you choose that, then you have to be open. You have to be honest. You have to be supportive. 
Babe, what would you add to that? There was a question that came up last service, and it was, uh, what do you wish someone would have told you before you got married? And what I wish somebody would have told me was how hard it was going to be. I would have made the same decision. It wouldn't have changed my decision, but it would have given me a better outlook. You choose every single day to be married, and you choose them to love them every single day. It's not what you see on TV. It's not what you see in the movies. It's a choice. And so the vulnerability that comes with that um, has to be chosen every day in spite of disappointment. And now I'm not, I, I would say this too, and I feel like a broken record sometimes, get other people in your life. Because if you are only looking at whatever the situation is from your own perspective and your own life journey, and they're looking at it from their perspective and their own life journey, it's gonna be hard to get on the same page. But if you have somebody else going, that's not what they meant, this is what they're saying. Oh, okay, well that's not, wait, you're looking at that from your mama. Your mama did that, don't forget. Whoa, I am. I know my husband loves me and is not out to get me. I know, he knows that I love him and I'm not out to get him. But sometimes when you're in the middle of something like that, you can have some ugly thoughts. That's right. Really ugly thoughts. And so it's really nice to be able to bounce that off of somebody else sometimes to go, this is how it made me feel. And then go, it's how it made you feel, but that's not how he feels about you. That's right. So, so good, babe. Anyways. So good. All right. For the sake of time, we're going to do just a couple more. Um, oh. We're not going to do this one because you just answer it. I may touch on it, though. Okay. What do you wish someone would have told you before you got married? That. <laughs> so. Yeah. I will briefly say this, though. Um, one of the things that I, I did hear before I got married to my beautiful wife was don't marry somebody that you love. Marry somebody that you like. Yeah. And this is what I mean by that. The butterflies and the emotions and the, oh, my gosh. <gasps> like, that goes away. Can I just be honest? It goes away, but it can come back. It will ebb and flow like my wife mentioned. But marry somebody that you enjoy being around. If you can't stand when, the way they talk, guess what? You're going to be hearing that voice for the rest <laughs> of your life. If you don't have fun together, guess what? You're going to be bored together for yep. the rest of your life. My wife and I, we have fun together. Like, we legitimately enjoy each other's company. Last night, I told the first service, last night, we should have been asleep early in preparation. Instead, we were up till like 11.30, just laying in bed, talking about our favorite Nick at Night shows. That's true. We're talking about, we're talking about Nickelodeon, Heathcliff, Doug, come on somebody, Rugrats. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Back Murder, she wrote. Yeah. Come on, don't, don't sleep on Angela Lansbury. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it was fun. But enjoy, the, marry somebody that you like being around. Okay, next question. How, oh, how do you disagree well, especially if your spouse has hurt from previous relationships? How do you disagree well, especially if your spouse has hurts from previous relationships? You want me to start? Sounds good. I'll start. So um, let me give you again, paint a little bit more picture of our backgrounds right. for a little bit. Neither one of us come from healthy, happy marriages. 
My mom and my dad were married and divorced twice. My dad, whom I love and is a godly man at this stage in his life, was married four times. My mom married my dad, divorced my dad two times. They divorced. Her family, they stayed married. And they have a good relationship now, but it was very toxic for my wife growing up as a child, alcoholism, the whole thing. So with that said, we didn't have these great examples to follow. And even in our dating relationships, didn't always make the best choices in the people that we dated. And so how do we, because of all of these things, when we got together the first year of marriage, we were like two rams locking horns in our fights. I mean, it was like full-on battle. I have a mom who to this day is stronger than most men that I know. I kid you not. She's stronger than most men that I know. And so I came into our marriage with this sense of no woman's ever going to dominate me again the way that my mom dominated me. Not going to happen. And she came into watching the dysfunction of her dad and their mom, and she was already naturally strong. So our first year of marriages, and I'm just going to tell everyone in here, your first few years of marriage, this is all you're doing. You're peeing on your territory. (laughs) It's the truth. Blessed assurance. That's why you find, seriously, that's why you find yourself arguing about like two day arguments over toothpaste. That's right. Because you're like, I'll be doggone if we're going to change the way. Like when you really think about it, it's like, dude, just, it's toothpaste. I can't remember one argument we got it, and this was, I'm telling on you, pastor, so you know where we came from. I can't remember, we were in this argument one time, and I got some really bad counsel, really, really, you okay if I share the story? Sure. Really bad advice from- He got really bad counsel. It was really bad advice. (laughs) So we're in the middle of this argument, and I had this belief in my mind, and it's, it's healthy, but it can be unhealthy. You can go to a healthy extreme. And I was like, we're not, the Bible says we are not going to bed unless this argument is resolved. So in the middle of the night, it could be one o'clock in the morning. I'm not really resolving it. I'm still fighting, trying to get her to see my point. She'd be like, I'm going to bed. I would literally cut the lights on, grab the sheets, throw them off. Like the Bible says, right? Which, first of all, is not even what the Bible actually says. Let me just say that. It says, don't let the sun go down. And so, by the way, we could have gone to sleep and woken up the next morning and resolved it, right? And so, anyway. And so, I'm, one day, she went in her room and, like, in our bedroom, not her room, our bedroom, and locked the door. And she was like, I am not talking to you anymore. I was like, no, you're going to talk to me. And so bad, my friend, a friend of mine said, man, I'm just telling you, if I were you, I would knock that door down and I would go tell her. <laughs> so I told her, I said, if you don't open the door, Lauren, I'm knocking the door down. She's like, do it, you know, boom, <laughs> nothing, boom. I knocked the entire frame of the door <laughs> off the, and I opened the door like, yeah. I'm an, I'm an idiot. Oh my gosh, what did I just do? We were in an apartment complex. I'm like, dear God, I gotta That's pay I for this. Him. I said, there goes our deposit. She's right. like, like, she's not making it better. Like, damn, what did you just do with our deposit? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Y'all, we could go on with stories. We were, we were we got rotten, some stories. rotten we got some stories. to the core. 
So what, what we have learned, we don't do that anymore. Thank yeah. God. One more story before I answer Oh it. my goodness. I'm gonna get y'all out of here so y'all can go to whatever y'all gonna go to eat. Pizza Artista, whatever. Um, but I can remember one time here, when we moved here 10 years ago, our marriage was not in the best place. By the mm -hmm. grace of God, she's always been faithful to me, I've always been faithful to her. Yeah. So that wasn't our problem, but our problem was our anger and our frustration and pent up resentment and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so one day we're living in the duplexes here on campus and we're in a heated argument and the phone goes off. And it's not even in the room where we're arguing, it's on like the kitchen table or something and it goes off and calls my pastor while we're in the middle of an Jesus argument. Jesus loved me. That's all I have to say. Now, kid you not, it's like, it's like Jesus went, oh, that's how y'all gonna act? Okay. Right, click. Go ahead and call your pastor. And he heard the whole argument and I had to talk to him about the afterwards. Not fun conversation, by the way. To answer the question, how do you disagree well? You have to learn when to pause the argument. You have to learn when this is getting, this is out of the boundaries of how we want to argue. Right. In most marriages, 99.9% .9 of marriages are going to argue and that's okay and it's healthy. You're not weird arguing. You're not this sinful person because you're trying to come to a resolution, okay? But where you get wrong is when you start taking personal attacks mm -hmm. on that person, when you start cutting each other off and you won't let each other speak and give their point. Most people yell because they feel like they're not being heard. Right. They physically raise their voice because they emotionally feel like I'm not being heard. So that just causes the emotions to go high. Learning how, she did this to me not too long ago in an argument, she said, time out. And I knew as soon as she said that I had, to, I had to respect that, excuse me. I had to respect that because that's her way of saying I'm getting escalated. You have to learn how to de-escalate arguments and realize that the reason why we're arguing is because we feel strongly about this and we feel like we're right. Most people don't argue when they don't feel like they're right. But there's a greater principle at work. It's not always about who's right. Sometimes it's about what's right. It's good. And what's right is reconciliation in the relationship. What's right is us being able to resolve this in a healthy way. Sometimes you have damage in your relationship from something that had nothing to do with why you were arguing. Mm -hmm. But it's the way that you did it. And last thing I'll say, and then I'll hand it to you. There are times where if we can't resolve it within a few days, we have to go to somebody else. Absolutely. That's right. We have to bring this tension to someone else that can speak into our marriage and help us see what we don't see. Oftentimes, again, that's why it's so important to surround your marriage. Mm -hmm. It's my best friends, it's her best friends that I know won't just tell me what I wanna hear. They're gonna tell me what I need to hear. Yep. There's times when I feel absolutely vindicated and right and they say, yeah, but the way you said it was wrong, you need to go and apologize. Gosh, you're right or the trump card, when she or I say, I'm calling Pastor Jacob. Okay, let's get this together, I'm so sorry. Brings reconciliation real quick. Real quick. And wise, I'll tell you this, use that. Use that, husbands use that. Baby, if we can't get this together, we're calling Pastor Gabe. We're calling Pastor Paul. 
We're calling James and Candy. We're calling David and Megan. We're going to call them and invite them into our lives. We're calling Hananiah and Renee. You should use that, not just as a scare tactic, because it brings accountability into your That's relationship. Right. Anything you want to add, my love? I'll just say, both of you need to get on the same page that you want change in your marriage. It takes two people to be able to facilitate change. If it's one person and the other person's not, it's gonna be much tougher and really your battle is on your knees. It is, it's to be more like Jesus and to pray through it. But when two people get together and they go, okay, we're gonna work on this and we're gonna change each other. Like the Bible says iron sharpens iron, it's gonna be like iron, it's gonna be a whole lot of friction. But if you're both on the same page and you're both working toward the same goal, it can happen. I remember, I, I grew up slicing and dicing. I, I can cut you with my, used to, I'm sanctified. But I could cut you with my words. And that's how I grew up. My family, that's how we, our dynamic. We would just have at it, cut you below the belt, and then everything was fine. And so I got married thinking, that's how you fight. I just cut and slice and dice, and then we walk out of there like everything's great. That is not how it works. And I learned that very, very quickly. So I remember I had to consciously take hold of what I was about to say. And let me tell you, in that process, what I did came across fake. It, came, it was hard to do. I had to hold myself back. And one time I even remember he was like, you don't even mean what you're saying, it's so fake. And I remember the pastor was like, why are you doing that to her? She's trying to change a habit that she's right. had her entire life. That's right. And now, because, thank you, Jesus, the Holy Spirit checks me, and I can listen and obey the Holy Spirit, and I don't slice and dice him anymore. But we had to get on the same page. He had to give me room for it to be fake and weird while I was trying to change it and not call me to the carpet every time. And I had to be committed to changing that. So I would say get on the same page. So good. Can y'all give us one more question? I know we're running over time. Raise your hand if you can give us a question. One yeah. question, two, three, four, <laughs> five. One last question. I don't know what we're going to get. I'm just going to rant. I'm just going to go for one at the bottom. I'll okay. let you know if he's reading the right one. Yes. Oh, I'm glad we got this one. And it really is there. Okay. How do I practically love my wife? How do I practically respect my husband? What are some practical things you can do? Um, babe, why don't you start that one? So I'll say respect to me, because mine is how do I practically respect my husband, right? Okay. Respect to me doesn't look the same as respect us to him. And I will venture to say that his idea of love does not look like my idea of love. So I would say communication's key. He needs to learn what it means. When I feel loved, he needs to learn that. I need to be vocal and go, wow, that really made me feel loved. And he has taught me how to respect him. There were plenty of times, I, I was a slicer and dicer, remember? So I had to really learn this. But there were times when we would leave a situation and I would literally ask him, how did I do? And he would evaluate how I did. Now, what does that mean? I have to be vulnerable enough to be okay with the answers he gives me. Again, it's from a perspective that he loves me and we're working on our marriage, right? So I have to be okay with what I hear. And so as I would ask that question, how did I do? Was I okay? 
I learned what respect looked like for him. Not every man has the same idea of what respect looks like. And so for him, I learned it. And now I think for the most part, I do a pretty good job at it. Do a great job at it. Um, and vice versa. Yeah. I would tell him what I, what, how I feel love. I'm not a huge gifts person. I think it's fun. But if he picks up a broom, he has never looked sexier. <laughs> I'm telling you. Seriously. So he has learned my love language. <laughs> I'm about to stop off at Walmart on the way home, girl. <laughs> How do I practically love my wife? I talked a lot about it last week, so I won't go too much into that, but obviously praying for her, yeah. covering her, stepping in front of danger for her. Some practical things would be, I mean, go back to the things you did when you were dating her. Mm. Open the door for her again, right? Open the, the car door for her. Open the door when you're walking together. Speak highly of your wife to other people. Get rid of the language in your, the, your vernacular of the old ball and chain of my old lady. That's not honoring her. That's not honoring her. That's not showing her love. And there's a great book out there. I would encourage a couple great books. If you're taking notes, I would, I would write these three books down. Sacred Marriage yeah. is an incredible book. Love and Respect is also an incredible book. And The Five Love Languages. Those are great tools to help you know how to love and interact with your spouse. So with the five love languages, like my wife mentioned, um, hers is not gifts. And then there's times she likes flowers, but her love language is not gifts. Her love language really is, for me, acts of service and it's physical touch. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna be honest, I love hugging people and I got flagged the last time I said this, I love hugging people, but I don't like touching. Like when people come to like touch me, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's not really my thing, but I will reach over and grab her hand, meeting her need. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what loving someone is like. It's meeting their need, even when it not necessarily is comfortable for you. You do it to love them, right? And so I would encourage you, learn your spouse's love language. Practical ways, every morning, just about every morning, I make coffee for her. First thing I do in the morning is I serve her. It's the very first, after I brush my teeth, I go in the living room, before I even pray, I make coffee for my wife. So I'm serving her from the first part of the day, right? Texting her throughout the day, letting her know I love her, letting her know I'm thinking about her, considering her. Those are practical ways that you can love your wife. I said this last week, date her again. Date her. When is the last time, men, that you took your wife on a date? That shows her, I care about you, not just what you do for our marriage. So those are practical things that, that I do just to love her, right? When we go to bed at night, I'm always responsible to do the dishes before we go, or to cut the dishwasher on, right? And that's my thing. It's my contribution to, to her love language. Um, and I would say, again, to echo what my wife said as we close, when it comes to respect men, it takes vulnerability to share with your wife when you feel like what she's done to you is disrespectful. We feel stronger when we're angry and we can go, you did this and I'm gonna show you blah, blah, blah. Okay, if you can do that when you're being vulnerable, mm. you'll get more fruit. 
-hmm. When you can say, as the big, tough, strong provider, thank you, Thomas, you can come on up. The big, tough, strong provider. Hey, when you said that in front of that group of people, when we were sitting in that small group, I know you didn't mean it that way, but that, that made me feel belittled. That made me feel like you didn't respect me. I hate, just remember, these are my employees. You can't talk to me like that. I feel disrespected when you say that. And more than likely, she'll go, man, I didn't even realize I did that. I'm so sorry. So you have to share with them what shows you respect in a vulnerable way so that you can work on fixing these things. We want to pray for y'all. And if you're a married couple, I want you to stand up and grab the hand of your spouse. We're going to close out and pray. And if you're single and believe in God for your spouse, I want you to stand up and hold the hand of Jesus. Come on. And we want to pray over you and over your marriages. Let's pray. Father, you've done a lot in this union, a lot in this relationship that we've learned a lot of hard lessons through. And there are many families, couples, marriages in this room, God, who have had to learn some hard lessons and there's more to learn. I pray for the grace to forgive one another. I pray for the grace to have tough conversations in a humble way with one another. I pray for the grace to be able to acknowledge where they've damaged and harmed the relationship. God, there's confessions that need to be made in this room, and I pray that you would give them the strength and you would give the hearer the wisdom and the grace to forgive. God, there's There's conversations in this room that need to be had about tough things that are to come. Give them the grace to have those conversations. I pray that they would honor one another once again, that they would respect one another once again. They would love one another. And you would cause us as the body of Christ and in these marriages to represent what Jesus and the church really look like. Submission honor, vulnerability, truth, fun, friendships, vulnerability. Jesus, help these marriages, even for the one that I just, I sense in this room, there's a couple marriages, you came here today as a last ditch effort because you said this is the last thing I'm gonna try. And I'm just telling you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, If you will do it God's way, you'll get God's results. If you'll do it God's way, you'll get God's blessings. Bless every marriage in this place. Now, Father, I pray for them today. As the church, I pray, God, that you would prosper and bless them, that you would make your face, God, to shine on them, that you would bless them, Lord, and they're going out and then they're coming in and then all they put their hands to, God, for the sake of your kingdom would be blessed. And as a church, I pray for them to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would be a powerful church. I pray they would be a pure church, walking in the fear of the Lord, even in the decisions they make about their marriages. Let them make it in the fear of the Lord. 
And I pray they would be a persistent church even in the face of challenges. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.